This episode of Super Pulp Science is brought to you by the Dragon Nanny Kickstarter, going live September 1st at 8 p.m. Dragon Nanny is a 104-page graphic novel about a little robot on a mission to find and hatch as many dragon eggs as he can on a slumbering world. All the dragons have disappeared, and it's up to one lone robot to find and hatch them back to life. You can find the Kickstarter through ChasingArtwork.com, or going to kickstarter.com and searching Dragon Nanny. Attention, citizens. It's time for Super Pulp Science. This is the return of Super Pulp Science. A podcast all about how genre gets made. I am so happy to be back in the studio with Justin Curry, also known as Chasing Artwork, and producer Dan Vettemoncourt. Uh, we have a slightly different setup right now. We are about five meters away from each other, um, connected by long Just cords. long cords. Long cords. Like it's kind of fun. Um, the new COVID reality has kept us away for five months, six months. Um, and we are masked up in the studio and we are far away from each other and we are just doing our very best to return to some semblance of normalcy. So thanks for those of you who tuned in after how many episodes of the worst sound quality in the history <laughs> of Super Pulp Science. There were complaints. Were there really? My dad wasn't happy. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. Greg. Sorry. <laughs> He's hard of hearing though, so... <laughs> It's especially tough on him. Well, I, I can, if you want to just get into the technical aspect of it for, for a minute, one of the reasons, because I did give you a better microphone um, than what you have, but one of the reasons there was an issue uh, is that we had issues with headphones. You guys didn't have headphones, or you didn't headphones, have headphones that would connect properly. Yeah, they Your weren't. Bluetooth wouldn't work, and your new Mac doesn't have a port for headphones. That's so right. So it's Apple's fault. Uh, but the reason why, the, what makes, like, I've, and I've been doing a lot of remote podcasting with different groups and different podcasts over the last few months and really what you need is a good set of headphones that won't allow what you're hearing to enter the microphone and so there's no echo because otherwise i get files from each of you guys and there's three versions of me talking in all three files oh. right? right so they have to cut out two of those versions and it's very very time consuming to do that so basically what i would do is take the best sounding file uh of the three that i have and use that for the podcast to save myself time unfortunately so it was partly my fault because i didn't want to put the work in but uh, that's just the reality of it. So. so our very first episode of this podcast, of course, was us starting the journey of podcasting. And what's been interesting is we've learned a little bit every season all along the way about things that we thought we had locked. Well, this, I mean, yeah. th this whole uh, pandemic has thrown a wrench into every part of life, right? And this is actually affecting what I'm teaching my students coming up. We're doing all of our classes online. And I'm teaching them how to podcast this way as well, like remotely with somebody else who's in a different location. So Wild. Yeah. Yeah. What have you guys been up to? So many things. <laughs> like our last episode was how long ago now? Like uh, that we recorded. Uh, Hannah. Let me, it yeah. wasn't that long ago. Well, I, it took me a while to get it up. So <laughs> to be fair, you guys, <laughs> you guys gave me that audio and then it took me a few weeks to get that finally edited. Time has uh, acquired a new meaning <laughs> to me. A it's different meaning. It's been funny with everybody's conversations. You know, when you, you haven't seen somebody in a couple months and the first thing you always ask is, what's new with you? And the COVID answer is, well, nothing, because yeah. there's, not <laughs> there's nothing that can be new. You know, what's funny about degree. that, too, is that people who are not taking it very seriously resent the question. 
I've noticed. If, it, you know, if you're like, oh, it's been hard, or oh, it's been weird, and there are people who have been ignoring the social distancing rules or whatever, they feel like it's a challenge to their way of life that you took it seriously. Okay. So if you're one of those people listening, we don't, uh, we're not casting any dispersions. We just hope you're all safe and sound. That's the key feature of all of this. If you're rolling the dice and playing the numbers game, well, uh, I spent the last three months working on probabilities for a role-playing game. Uh, you're not as lucky as you think. <laughs> and just for reference, our last episode was posted July 8th. So it's been almost two months since, since we've had a new episode. Right. This, and this marks, of course, the beginning of season four. Is this season of, four? Of this ask, podcast, yeah. yeah. Season four. So That's usually one of the best seasons is usually season four, five. Six, seven is always going downhill. That's so when, jumps yeah. Well, then we'll yeah. add a new character. It's usually what happens. You kill oh, someone or add a new character. Somebody younger Some, Somebody will prettier. have a baby and That's have right. a new, new child, yeah. And then that child gets, in a later episode, advanced in age so that right. they are... Uh, you know, what they usually do in shows is make them sexually available to other characters on the show. Uh, <laughs> that's watching? usually, like, that's what happened during Angel. Remember? They're like, right. oh, Cordelia can't have a baby. Let's make him a hot dude. <laughs> right? Right. That's so, right. <laughs> so we've got lots of tricks that we can pull. Yeah. Right? That's no problem. One of the things that uh, happened uh, while we were on the break is the new Ghostbuster art book came out that both Justin and I have... Um, artwork in so that was pretty exciting to see it out in the world justin sent me a i don't know where you were you're at a bookstore or something i was at mcnally i went through mcnally for the first time since february um just kind of missing a bookstore yeah i was um, there a while ago too i didn't see that one but that was maybe before it was released well the uh, probably sold out of me the oh, section maybe. that i always beeline for is they have their the art of uh, Pixar, the art of video right. games, the art of whatever, is a tiny little section hidden kind of by the music. It's not with the other, like, oh, art the books. Other comic books right yeah, okay. and it was, like, front and center. It's a huge book. It's, like, a 12 by 10, like, monster-sized book. And, yeah, so it's full of Ghostbusters art. Yeah. We missed, they did a Firefly one. We totally missed that. I actually didn't Did you get something it. in? I almost had my composition together, and then all that, like, just that first two months of, co of Slovin yeah. happened, and all of the wind was out of my sails, and, like, the whole world was in turmoil, and my whole life was in, like, upside down, and trying to figure that all out, and I just said, you know, I could super stress about this, or I could uh, just let that one go. But the, uh, the company that, that does go. this printed in blood, kind of their business model is they go and they get the licensing rights for Ghostbusters, The Thing, um, Stranger Things, Firefly. Firefly, and then it's not an open call. You have to, like, you have to confirm, you have to send them some work, and they'll let you in kind of thing. Yeah, you get on a list. Um, they also have a message board now that uh, uh, apprises people who are inside the list right. about upcoming projects, so we know of a few And then it's ones. just fan art. It's, like, just awesome artists doing awesome fan art pieces of, of these awesome titles. And we originally ran into them at New York Comic-Con like years ago. And this was like, they were doing John Carpenter's The Thing and they had no idea if anybody was going to want this book and they didn't know if they were going to be able to get enough like artists. Like they were very like um, careful about what they were promising. But if you want to put in artwork, like you're more than welcome and The Thing exploded. And one of the advantages to us had always been that because we were doing so many shows, 
these became uh, licensed artwork that we were permitted to sell a certain number. Usually it was around 200. 200, yeah. Um, so that you had that. Uh, it separated you from the fan art pack in that we ended up with a number of licensed properties that we were allowed to then put front and center and Le have your name attached to. Legitimate mm -hmm. fan art. So yeah. Speak. yeah. Well, like, you mean all fan art legitimate, but is like, legitimate. It's a gray area as to what <laughs> official fan art. Can we say that? Yeah, I don't know how you. <laughs> yeah. Even yes. licensed fan art. Licensed right? fan art. That yeah. seems like yeah. a. Like when yeah. Shepard Ferry did Obama's face. He got in trouble for that. He ended up getting in trouble for making <laughs> that fan art, and then they used it for the campaign, right? So right, of course. It's a, it's a very, uh, it's a quagmire. So that's something that was kind of exciting that happened. Um, also, that came as a direct result of. Uh, the COVID scenario is that I was contacted by Dr. Gillian Horton to do a bunch of comics for the OMA, which is the Ontario Medical Association. So I've done five now stories, which are like, uh, it's called Sketches from the Frontline. And I'm illustrating uh, Gillian's accounts of interviews she's had with doctors who are on the front line of the whole crisis oh, okay um and so we put that together as a series of things available on oma's website so you can check it out there but uh recent rumblings is that it is uh likely to be collected as a book or a collected volume so nice. that's pretty cool and i brought Lyndon Rachenko in to do lettering on that in uh we, we want to give him, I want to give him a nickname Lyndon the lever Rachenko. Lever, lever. yeah yeah um LLR. <laughs> Lettering Linden. Lettering Linden. Uh, and he just knocked it out of the park every time. Um, so it was a really, uh, you know, tight deadlines. We'd have really short turnarounds when each story came in versus when it had to come out. And he just came in in that last, in that last moment of every, of every project to just link it all together. For people who uh, don't know about comics in general or are wondering about how to get their comics to the next sort of professional polish, a good letterer is worth their weight in gold. It's that if you think about like a, a really beautiful painting, um, the last 10% is what really ties it all together, right? The that frame. last little highlight in the eye, the frame, <laughs> something, yeah, Justin, you're a monster. Uh, the last little highlighted in the eye, the last little bit of texture, the last little bit that brings it from um, looking like, okay, that's, that's a painting to, oh, that's a work of art. A good lettering really does solidify your comics page, so it's been good working with him. Dr. Jonathan Ball and I have a new book announcement. We are publishing Eye Collector through Heavy Metal in their new creator-owned virus imprint, and uh, Linden's letterer on that. Letterer Linden, Dr. Ball, and uh, myself on illustration and uh, co-creation. So we'll do a whole podcast episode on how that came together, and we'll bring everyone on. Are you afraid of dragons? No. In fact, if it weren't for sorcerers, there wouldn't be any dragons. But the real thing worth talking about, Justin is being his humble self over there, is that Justin for months has done nothing but slave on his computer, <laughs> uh, writing, illustrating, uh, storyboarding, researching, everything that there is to do to put the Dragon Nanny book together. He took the ball and ran with it in such a such a great way. 
And uh, we're hoping that the touchdown he scores will be on Kickstarter, which launches September 1st. 8 p.m. it yeah. goes live. And I've always, like, we've always talked about doing a Kickstarter. I've always wanted to do a Kickstarter. Um, but it always, you know, all the horror stories you hear come from if they become successful, people aren't prepared for the amount of work that will be involved. Right. And even, like, finishing the projects themselves. Um, so so go I'm going to pause there and ask you a clarifying question. Yeah. Um, what are those problems that people usually see? So early on when, like, Kickstarter was still, like, in its infancy, I think it was only, you could only do it if you were American. It was only in the States. And um, not too many graphic novels were up there yet. Like, it was more kind of new technologies, right? Like, people wanted to make uh, new 3D printers, and they, you know, they wanted to get funding for inventions, almost. It seemed like, initially. Yeah, and the first thing I saw was a Faraday backpack. A backpack that <laughs> wouldn't let anyone steal your information because you'd put your cell phone in it and it would cut it off from all networks. That was the first <laughs> Kickstarter project I ever really? saw. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. That's awesome. Yeah. Now I think the standard thing about wallet has that technology now. Yeah, right. Right, no, because crazy. people can scan, like uh, do a tap purchase yeah. right. against your wallet. Um, and so one of the, uh, the artists that I was following online, I saw did, uh, did a Kickstarter and he was asking for like a very, he just wanted to print the, the graphic novel. So I think he was asking for like, I want to say like eight to $10,000, um, which was like a big ask at the time, especially for like a comic book. And he ended up getting over 200. And this was like record breaking at the time for a graphic novel getting that overfunded. Which you'd think should be amazing instant success. Would be amazing, right? We crowdfunded 200 grand. What could 200 go wrong? Grand. Yeah. Um, he was on a podcast like a year later and by the end of everything, he was $30,000 in debt and he had almost gone through a relationship and he had had to like hire his family or get his family like to take days off work to help him like fulfill everything. Like it just turned, he was like not sleeping because he was so stressed out about the, the problem that had snowballed out of this success and to clarify that um for the dear listener w if you happen to be in australia we love you as a person but sending you anything by the mail it's like 40 dollars <laughs> minimum that's not yeah. their fault it's it's, it's not your yeah. fault but so i've heard of a number of kickstarters that make worldwide shipping a thing and then people fr like just a a flat rate and then people from those countries that are used to having to pay so much more for shipping jump on board because hey it doesn't cost eighty dollars to ship something today let's get this thing yeah and uh, that's a lot of the times where the problems came in was the shipping costs were um an unforeseen like they didn't realize how much it was going to be to ship all these books to germany and japan and australia and it suddenly they were losing money on every purchase so you've done all your due diligence you figured all that out justin was like weighing things uh he bought a scale he got a new program for calculating mail things, um, did a bunch of practice Well, yeah, so shipping. actually, before the, uh, the Kickstarter, um, the San Diego Comic-Con weekend was middle of July. And so as part of I Miss Comic-Cons, I, uh, I opened up my online store um, to sell Comic-Con exclusive foil prints that I normally would only sell at conventions, but since none of us can really enjoy that for a while, I opened up the store. And it was the first time that I'd sold pieces, like just print prints, 
from uh, from the studio. I uh, I usually just do books, which are a lot more durable, and um, I normally don't promote it quite as much. But this foil store, uh, it grew into it became a much bigger success than I was expecting it. So I suddenly had like 200 orders f to fulfill all over the world, and um, I learned a couple things real quick. He can go without sleep. Yeah. He learned that. I think he knew that already. <laughs> Based no. on how many times I've come to the studio and yeah. he's been up all night. We have a lot of floor <laughs> space in the studio for fulfilling things. So, like, when I was selling books online, they would usually come, like, it was always, the store was always open, and it would usually be, like, one or two a week. It was just kind of a steady trickle. And this, all of a sudden, was all at once. And usually my big bottleneck was I would go to the post office, and I would have to hand write out the declarations form, and that took forever. And especially if I had like 10 books, I'd be holding up the line and it'd be stressful. And yeah, everybody, everybody hated me for it. And I didn't like your it Your stress came from your empathy for others. If you yeah. got rid of that, you'd probably have a lot less stress. So then I finally did some research and found the, uh, like the online shipping options where you fill in everything online and you print out your own labels. And then the post office just has to pick it up and scan it. And you don't have to, you no longer have to go to the post office. You no longer have to wait in line. You set a pickup date and they just come and grab everything and you've already paid for it online and it's gone. And so that was like, suddenly my world changed a little bit. I no longer have to deal with an actual post office. But then the other thing that's kind of going on right now is COVID is slowing all the mail down, but people don't realize that all the mail is slowed down because of COVID, everybody's still expecting Amazon delivery times. Yeah. And uh, so it was met with like a lot of like, where is this package? It's been over, it's like a couple days. So it's been four days. It's been a week. How come it hasn't where's where's me the yet? package? Yeah. And I was kind of frustrated too. I'm like, well, it said it should be there like five to 10 days. And it's definitely been more than that. So I don't, I don't know either. I've been shipping stuff for like 10 years. I've never had this amount of like, of everything's just delayed everywhere because not only are people being laid off in like the male world, but we all, they all have to be careful about social distancing. Um, so like it bottlenecks at customs, it's bottlenecking as soon as it's like going out of the country. Everybody in Canada got theirs right away, but it's, if it was going anywhere else, like huge delays. And then I was talking to other friends who, um, who used to do conventions and now they're just doing their Etsy full time. And same deal, like their five to 10 business days, they've had sometimes up to nine weeks. It's been sitting in customs. Wild. Just because it's so backlogged. You'll know the time. You must act while life is still in me. In an ideal world, if it gets funded for the amount of books that um, I've asked for, We'll have books by early November, and by late November, I hope to have all the shipments out. But if it gets overfunded and that number is much bigger, printing is going to take longer and shipping is going to take longer. So suddenly, that promise can no longer be kept. Don't you have to put a delivery promise delivery date on the Kickstarter? You do. You so do and that's like why a delivery window. Yes. And then in updates, we've talked to a number of people who've done Kickstarters about this specific fact, and the, the correlated advice is... Um, you know, all things being what is stated, 
You know, if you ask for X and you get only X, then you can guarantee that shipping time, and you should, and that's what we've researched, and that's what we're guaranteeing. But if it goes above what we've asked, then, of course, it, you can't know how much above what is being asked. But you just have to be And what that calculation is, so you just be transparent. Yeah. Hey, we have an extra 100 orders. It's going to take us a month more to send it to you guys, okay. right? And some people still won't read that and immediately yeah. demand, like, hey, where's my book? Yeah. But. Um, <laughs> apparently, now this is apocryphal, so I don't know if this is in fact true, but I heard from someone else talking about how they did Kickstarters that you can check the date of the backing on the Kickstarter. Oh, you can change it? No, I mean, oh. like, you can see which backers backed on what dates. Oh. And so you can make sure that those people who were the first to back get theirs mailed to them first. Oh, yeah. yeah. So oh. that you can... I'm actually, I'm counting on that because yeah. I have a 72-hour print incentive where you get this free foil print. Oh, yeah, you gave us a In the first today. 72 hours. Yeah. <laughs> the sirens. Welcome back, sirens, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but this is the, I've got one right, right here, and it's amazing. It's very, very cool. I, yeah, print. I love... Foil printing now. It's my new favorite thing. Every so for the dear piece. listener who doesn't know what a foil print is? It's uh, you take a normal like digital print and you run it through this extra process called foil stamping. And they take the paper and they hit it with a metallic layer of gold, silver. There's, a, there's about six or seven different colors that you can get done. Um, but the, the nanny robot is kind of like an orangey gold. So I made this gold nanny Gundam hybrid, much more badass looking mech than the one that appears in the kid's book. Yeah, the super cute <laughs> version is in the book. Yeah. And then the people who uh, have followed Justin's like badass damage rope fighting robot style can still get the thing they like the most about him. That was part of the plan because that's this whole project. Normally it's, it's life cycle was supposed to take place at conventions at my table along with all my other prints. And on Kickstarter, I really tried to bring in as much of the convention as I could. So there's lots of tiers that include um, signed prints and other things that you'd find at my table at a Comic-Con. So it's not just the book itself, it's all my other artwork that I've been working on for years as well. And not only that, Will Little came back oh my onto God. this project with us. Yeah, Is you can you? see it there. Tell them what you see. I see a 3D printed uh, uh, dragon nanny. It's a, it's a, now, when I first saw this, we had Will on the podcast. Uh, it was a much smaller version. You guys yeah. were trying a couple different ways to print it. But that, that is like, it's good, what, six inches? No, uh, it's five About inches? Six and a half six tall and a half. with the ears. It's pretty antenna. big. It's pretty big. Yeah. Bigger than the other one was. And it's a, it's a statue of the robot. He's Very iterated cool. it to a perfection that I... <laughs> You know, like three versions ago, I was like, wow, I'm so proud of what we've done. And then each new version, I'm like, wow, wow, this gets, whoa. Yeah. So shout out to Will Little, who is uh, really rocking it on here. Uh, tonight he has, no, that was yesterday. No, That was tonight. yesterday, yeah. yeah. Oh. Yesterday he did a presentation for uh, New Media Manitoba on 3D printing and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, talking to him, the amount he's learned, like he's been a 3D artist for years, and I think like a lot of people think, okay, if you're a 3D artist, then you're just going to be able to take that file and hit print. And no, there's no. all this like, the f even just like the physics of like you're printing something that's lopsided. Well, when you're printing it, you need to build all these little structures that are going to hold it up 
as it's getting printed that you can break off later. Because if you don't have all those little structures in there, it's going to fall over in the printer when it's halfway built because it doesn't have its, you know, like it's and for the sake all these of, other things. For the sake of the listener that is joining us for the first time because it's our new, our season premiere episode with good sound quality again. <laughs> um, when you say 3D artist, I think there's a lot of people who, we're taking for granted that we know all that applications and what that means and how you have that as a job, but explain for the dear listener what so, a 3D artist well, is. Well, Will Little does. is the lead 3D artist at Complex Games. So that means he takes, um, so for example, we worked on a Warhammer game together when I worked there like years ago. And so I would take sketches of uh, Warhammer-esque buildings and then I'd give them to Will and he would bring them into programs like Maya or ZBrush and he would construct the 3D version of it. Um, and he would do it in such a way that it's, uh, it's not, it's, a f it's efficient data-wise. So you can fit a lot of these on a small file so they can play on your phone on like a quick rate kind of thing. Um, it's like sculpting with polygons. Yeah. And if you match that, and Will, hopefully, will. I, I wish it was a call-in show so he could call in and, <laughs> and correct us. But depending on the poly count, of course, uh, it takes a different amount of data space. Yes. And so they optimize it so that it always looks good at the place you're supposed to see it and the way you're supposed to see it. And there's a whole artistry involved in making it optimized for different games and different engines at different scales. And so... For the 3D printing, right, it's like a physical scale, right? It looks smooth because it is smooth. It doesn't just look smooth at a distance. Right? And then other things like uh, we've tried, this one um, is hollow. We made the base and the torso hollow. And we're like, ah, it's like a little too light. Well, let's try a version where we just fill the, in, like make it solid. Like, so there's no hollow inside. It's just an entire solid resin thing. And it made, the printing so much um, used so much resin that it was running out of resin halfway through all the prints. We have all these versions where it's like the top of its head is cut off because <laughs> we ran out of resin. And then the other thing was, as this resin like is like a chocolate of, bunny, same thing. It's like a chocolate bunny, mm, yeah. Right. And then the drainage. He figured out like if he has um, ways for the resin to kind of drain out of the bigger things, then he doesn't get like these pools of unwanted resin. Like, there's just all these little intricacies that none of us had any clue and about. And it's like a science fiction movie. It's like lasers hardening a polymer in a little suspension bath. It's like the way they put together Lilu in the fifth element. Exactly. Right? Yes, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's so cool. Because this is just the beginning, Yeah. right? I mean, and I know those of you who've been into 3D printing for a decade are like, it's uh, late to the party, Gregory. <laughs> yeah, I get it. But now it is impressive to the point where, like, we bought one off the shelf. Consumer-grade right? 3D printing yeah. is getting amazing. And yeah. it's only going to just get way better from here. This is Zacharias Draconum, Dragon Slayer. The best I ever made. Beautiful. Yeah, the process took Will months to figure out, but now that we do, we have it figured out. He doesn't have to change the file much, but the printing still takes a lot of time. So there's not a whole lot of... Um, it's about four days of printing to get one of these little guys made, and that's yeah, so because... Unlike Lilu Dallas, it doesn't yeah. just appear inside of like 
a single panning shot and then suddenly there's a toy. I wish that's true. We'll get there. Eventually, we'll get there yes. And eventually it's going to be like the replicators the on Star Trek. The movie does take place like 300 years in the future. So. True, yeah. true. Yeah. I don't want to wait that long. <laughs> so is this uh, something that's going to be offered on the Kickstarter, these statuettes? Yeah, so there's going to be 10 of these. That was the other good news. Originally, we were thinking we could get five done. Will has streamlined things. And um, now with, uh, like originally I was... I was very tight with the the delivery date, but then everybody kind of recommended, like with shipping being what it is right now, with uncertainties, if anything happens, you're not going to be able to meet that deadline. So we've pushed the delivery date to January 2021, and that just ensures that everybody will have it in January 2021. Hopefully earlier is what I really want to happen. Um, But if I promise them for December, there's a chance that, people wouldn't get them by December. And that's the worst thing you could do to somebody, right? I, I think you'll have this by Christmas and then it doesn't show up by nope. Christmas. Oh, it just ruined yeah. Christmas. I yeah. want to say you're going to have it by January and ideally it shows up by Christmas is what I that really want Christmas to better. Yeah, we're trying to, you know, under promise and then work hard to over deliver, yeah. right? So Scotty does. You, so there's not as much. You like Scotty. Yeah, yeah on Star Trek. Yeah. yeah. So there's not as much disappointment. Yeah, we're, and then we'll <laughs> seem like we've pulled off a miracle. Um, the other good thing that I'm really excited about seeing like the finished version of on the project, like when it all comes together with the book, is the back matter. Like we uh-huh. tend to, all the books up until now that we've done, we usually put a sketch section or like a little, a couple of pages of how the project came together or whatever. But Dragon Any is a much more extensive how-to really of how this project came together, what the steps were, what the rough sketches looked like, like from, from a little doodle to a 2D illustration to a 3D model back to a 2D vector illustration, like and all the sort of little things we did along the way. So, you know, what I really hope is that someone that picks up the book who like just likes the story, that's one thing, but as they grow up a little and they say, I wonder how you do this, right? There'll be this little section in the back that really tells them <laughs> everything we got wrong along the way, sort of. And I oh, think cool. that is kind of missing from like every, everybody's chill, like, childhood books that they grew up on like Bernstein Bears really should have had every once in a while like here's how we work and show like right. Mr. and Mrs. Bernstein like and here's how our and name is really and... spelled in this pocket universe <laughs> yeah. you get that no Mandela you get that? effect no. jokes oh okay. Well, yeah, okay because everyone thinks it was Bernstein Bernstein Bears and it's A-I-N not E-I-N not right? convinced right. don't believe in the Mandela I, believe, I remember it as E-I-N but it apparently it is A-I-N and it is always has been E-I-N right right yeah. that's so. yeah We're like that Shazam universe. movie yeah <laughs> the Shazam movie yeah no the Kazam Kazam oh Kazam I thought it was the other way anyway oh my god <laughs> the war universe is splintering even as we're speaking yeah, about that's it right. And um, I think all that behind-the-scenes stuff happened in Dragon Annie because at the same time that uh, COVID was happening, I was getting ready to print my next art book, and I had to put that on hold because my art books are specifically made for comic convention touring to sell at the table. And so I, I just kind of switched gears. I put that one on, yeah, on the back burner and switched to Dragon Annie, but I was still in, like, I want to make an art book mode, and so I just kind of put all that into... So you kind of get an extra art book with Dragon Annie as part of the book. Kind of. Yeah. Like a making of tutorial, sort of. That's easy. Well, what's what's neat, too, about about that process is one of the cool things that's going to be on the actual Kickstarter when it launches, uh, he's put together this little animation reel. It's like a short little thing that shows, like, from a sketch to a finished illustration in a, like... A GIF. 
a little gif, but a little like stop motion. You know, it's. I mean, I've been working on it, and I was still like, "Whoa!" <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay, well, that's cool. So that's all. That's live uh, as of well, maybe. Try, we're going to try and have this podcast up on the first earlier than 8, 8 p.m. So check at uh, where can people find the Kickstarter? Yeah, it might be live right now. <laughs> well, yeah, it'll be live as of 8 p.m. September 1st at? Uh, Kickstarter.com slash Dragon Nanny. Or just search Dragon Nanny. I'm sure you'll yeah. find it. I don't so think there's anything else. Here was the other mistake I made that I oh. realized. So Learn from us, yeah. dear listener. Um, when you make a Kickstarter account, you choose your... Um, kind of your company name. Since I was making this for Dragon Nanny, I made my like kickstarter.com slash Dragon Nanny. But it turns out that was like, that should have been chasing artwork. So the actual website is kickstarter.com slash Dragon Nanny slash Dragon Nanny. It's like Dragon Nanny twice. Oh, okay. Because it's like the Dragon Nanny company is making the Dragon Nanny project when it should be like chasing artwork slash Dragon Nanny. So if I do another one, but well, so, uh, so we looked up, we're, we were <laughs> in the back end checking it out, and I was like, oh, and he's like, oh, I'm sure we can change that. And so he's poking around at how to change it, and I Google, like, you know, the, which is the, usually a good way to solve most problems, look for the message boards of people trying to solve that same problem. And there's, like, this huge, bold thing from Kickstarter that's like, do not, <laughs> right? <laughs> Click OK, because once you have clicked OK, you cannot change this setting. So, this so, it seems like there's something they should tell you as you're doing it. And maybe they <laughs> did. Like, they're asking for a lot of information. I'm just going through and yeah. filling it all out. And yeah. I'm just like, well, this oh, is for the Dragon Nanny Kickstarter. So that's what I'm putting in there. And, yeah. um, I mean, it, made, it makes sense uh, if you are doing one project, if it's a done-in-one. Our hope, though, is, of course, if if it's not one year of no shows, but two or three or, you know. So this means you have to change your company name to Dragon Nanny. No, we <laughs> just have to, like, go through actual Kickstarter headquarters to get it changed okay. after this. I'm sure it'll be a bit of a process, but yeah. we can. We it's can like uh, getting your Netflix account switched once you've had it for a few years. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's, that's the dream of this is because trade shows and school visits and book touring, um, any kind of like big social event where I would sell my stuff is, is not a thing. If Kickstarter works, and I really hope it does, then that's immediately green lights the next two books like right away. I don't have to wait and make money off freelance and doing other things for those books. I, can, I know where they're going so I can start working on them right away. Now, the um, cautious listener says, well, but Kickstarter is not a sure thing. Its very nature is that it's not a sure thing. That we accept. But when we print a book and take it to shows, that's also not a sure thing. We've had books that sold faster than others. We've had Mm -hmm. books that work and don't work. Publishing is not a sure thing. The reason why we like Kickstarter, why it works for our model, is that Kickstarter takes the distributor out of the middle and makes us the distributor. And when you can control the means of production, you can control what is the most important part of any endeavor, earning a living wage at it, which is our goal. It also takes, um, it, it, uh, like it's essentially a pre-order service yes. for, the, for the book. So it gives you a sense of what the market demand is for the book. So if, I'm knocking on wood here, because I, I believe you will make your goal, no problem. But in the event that you don't and you fall short, everyone's big... Um, you know, when they're hesitant about Kickstarter, it's like, well, if you don't make it all, you don't get anything, as opposed to things like GoFundMe or other uh, crowdsourcing platforms where you can get whatever you make. 
uh, Kickstarter, you set your goal, and then if you don't get that goal, you don't get anything. That's right. right. But it doesn't mean you can't redo another Kickstarter and, and set the goal a little bit, little bit lower to try and meet the demand. That true. You, you can do that, and people do do that. That's right. right? But so I, I, I'm full confidence in you guys. I know that you're going to make your goal. And in uh, <laughs> doing my, my research as well, like the whole one of the big things of why this happened is because of that Starlight game. Yeah. Right? I was the main artist oh, on the Starlight yeah. board game. Funded more than funded many, many times over. Yeah. Right? And then so that's that's when I really start. okay, well, I'm going to do a Kickstarter. I'm going to start doing all my research. Um, and one of the interesting things was board games are almost all going to Kickstarter right now. Yeah. That's like where the community is. And then talking to Brendan, the guy behind the Starlight uh, Kickstarter, which has actually been rebranded recently because of a, a copyright oh, no. thing. Yeah. Let's so it has a now. new name now. Stars of Acarios. Yeah, unfortunately, Starlight um, was approached by an older video game company that had a very similar name video game. And even though they, um, it, was, it was totally they were being a little petty and hoping that they could jump on the success of this board game. Right. I, yeah. Yeah, I don't so know. for the, how it works, of course, is that you, um, when you come out with a product, if somebody has what they believe to be a previously existing product, that your new product is going to encroach upon that name recognition, and that maybe was a success because of that name recognition, they will often send you, one of two things happens. They send you a letter that says, you owe us some money, you use their name. Or if they're a little bit nicer about it, it will be, hey, I think you use this name in error, Please change the name, and then we don't have any further problems. Or you can keep using it if you pay us. Also true. <laughs> yeah, that's usually the third follow-up. Right. So the cool thing about Kickstarter is that if it gets big, usually those companies that might need you to change it are going to reach out to you after the fact. You do all the due diligence you can, but it actually hasn't been launched yet. You might have been paid for it. You've pre-sold it. If it turned out that some gigantic previous megacorp also has a dragon nanny somewhere, and they reach back to us and say, I'm sorry, you can't use this name. Before the book is printed, we can change the name, still fulfill the Kickstarter. It doesn't get in the way of that because you haven't produced the final physical object yet. Now, you had done the original Wordmark for Starlight, the first version of the game. Did you do this one as well? I did not, no. Okay. I kind of wish still, I had done it. They still kind of used your A. The, yeah, they kind of they took my files and, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I would have fine-tuned it a little bit more than okay. they did. Okay, yeah. Um, maybe they had to do yeah. it quickly. I think that was it. I think they needed it to be done ASAP, yeah. and I was already moved on to other things. Every one of us needs this sacrifice. If you intend to interfere, you'll have to kill me. One interesting fact is a lot of successful Kickstarters is the Kickstarter community coming in it's not sometimes it is like somebody has a massive following and that following comes to kickstarter to support them but in a lot of cases it's just people who have never heard of you before and just finding you through kickstarter so there's a huge community there that um you can really take advantage of or, or get access to if you do it through there and that community is so analogous to the kind of community that i They're love great. about shows because like are, you know, my graphic novels, they're usually a little bit weird, a little bit, like, strange, a little bit esoteric. They're not the kind of thing that a person normally finds in their everyday uh, shopping experience. But at a convention, right, 
People are looking for that new thing they've never heard of. So many people in those tens of thousands that come through will say things like, oh, this is cool, I've never heard of it, and that's why they bought it. So Kickstarter is like that. That community is, they want to support a thing that's a good idea that they haven't seen before. I just saw recently uh, some of your books at Value Village. Oh. That's amazing. That's the whole life cycle. <laughs> I don't remember which ones it was, though. I can't remember which, which series it was. Imagination Manifesto. Yes, that's it. Imagination Manifesto. I've, see, I've heard that from yeah. people, and they say it to me with this bit of a cringe, but you have yeah, to Yeah, I was like, oh, no. And then I saw our friend Chad's uh, uh, Thunder, Thunder Road. Road. I thought that there means it's lived its life. Yes. That's the and life the cycle of a book. Yeah, yeah. To be read, to be, else. to be enjoyed, to be shared, to end up as a secondhand <laughs> book, to be read again. Yes. Right? There you go. That is, uh, I have no problem with stuff ending up like that. Um, what I do have a problem with sometimes is every now and then I Google Imagination Manifesto to see like what's going on with it on eBay and on other like third party sellers. Because for a while, people were selling signed copies of the first volume. I have an alternate cover which has a lower count, or at least that's what people thought. They didn't realize it was actually the same number. But, uh, People were selling for $500, $600. And I was like, guys, I'll send you one right now for $25. Just, everyone chill out. Yeah. Um, and it's just the scarcity, right? People find out that a book had a low print run, that it's signed by the artist, and they try to speculate on how popular. If you are one of those people out there selling those books at that price, that's great. Let's work out a deal. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll supply you with a steady stream of signed rare books, and you can uh, give back to me a little bit. So uh, I prefer the life cycle of they bought it for $5 at a secondhand store yeah. than the life cycle of, oh, someone thinks it's rare. You can't have it for more than $500. Like, yeah, for you sure. Know, more accessible. Or less than, yeah. I like it better to be accessible. That's what I like most about shows and what, what's happening with Kickstarter. It's, again, that democratization of art. People can get it at point of sale, no one in the middle. Uh, they've supported it directly. They know where the money is spent. You have to provide on Kickstarter your budget, where every dollar is going and why. The, uh, that was the biggest thing. Um, you need to prove to people through the campaign, through the Kickstarter, they need to believe that this is going to happen. Right, especially with graphic novels. Um, so that was a big thing with why I did it timeline-wise is the book is like 90% finished right now. It's 104 pages and I think I have 11 unfinished pages. So there's tons and tons of finished artwork and mock-ups of what the final book is gonna look like on the campaign. So there's no doubt that if like this gets- Even if he got killed on the way down the elevator today, <laughs> we would just have a book that was 11 pages shorter, like we'd still fulfill it, <laughs> you know? It's not even a... Uh... And that was a big mistake I saw with um, like people who weren't getting funded or it seemed like a real, it was a real struggle for them to get funded was they, barely, they had a loose idea of what the project was going to be, but they really didn't give me a good sense of like, I, I can't envision what this is going to be at the end. You haven't given me enough artwork, enough details, enough anything, so I don't really believe in you. Yeah. yeah, and for people hoping to learn a little bit about the back end of these projects, um, we don't have to go into like the dollars and cents details, but it is important to note that Justin and I made separate agreements. So um, how the IP is shared on this project depends on where the money comes from. So if we have to print the book ourselves, pay for that all ourselves, 
then it'll be closer to equity on the total project because we're putting all that money in time. I'll buy his time basically for equity of that project. But if Kickstarter is where the money comes from, then the project ownership shifts the lion's share to Justin because he did all the, the majority of that work and other people paid the difference instead mm. of me, right? So that's what we worked out. So don't be afraid, uh, collaborators out there, to have two kinds of agreements and, you know, your artist needs to be paid for their time more than you, writer, needs to be paid for your idea that you came up with while lying in a field of lilacs somewhere. <laughs> Right, and as an as a writer artist, I I feel very strongly about this. Yeah, it was right? a very fair agreement. I think we're all really happy with like the the business hat side of things. Yeah, we're all we're all in this for like the long term, like not just this project, but we have a lot of other projects in the works, and you know nobody wants to. Oh, your board? Where'd your board go? It's over here. My oh, you pointed over there. Yeah. yeah, we have a lot of different st things, so. We're hoping it's the start so, of yeah, just a new of the, way of doing it. It's a silver lining of, um, so because there was no conventions, because I wasn't gone every other weekend for a couple days at a time, the amount of like focus I was able to lean into this project was amazing. I don't feel super stressed out that the kind of like one of the finish lines is coming up because I've been here and I've been able to work on it and I haven't been distracted by other trips and stuff like that. So that's been kind of nice to have this amount of time to concentrate on the one project. Um, and even like say conventions came back for 2021, we have a vaccine back to normal. I would probably try to plan my year so I could have four to five months blocked away just to work on one project like this. Okay. Now that I've done it the once, like this is how I want to do hooked. it from now on. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Because you, you guys do take, I don't know if it's four months, but you have a few months off. Like January, February, we, but we two, always but fill that up with yeah. events. There, there and are stuff. Yeah. yeah, there are events that happen there so that you guys do as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, and the other side, like the first two months of COVID, that was hard on me. But the last three, four months, sort of found my stride. The family righted the shit. Like we know how it's all working now. What is the final stage acceptance? Um, yeah, we're in the acceptance <laughs> now in the final stage of grief. We did do that. You mourn your old life, yeah. right? You go through all of that. Uh, and it's hard, but, you know, it's just, it's a necessary part. The other side, too, that Justin made, he sent me this great text. Oh, yeah, I want to talk about this. Right? Thing. He sent me this great text. He says, you know what I miss the most? I was like, oh, okay, here's something profound. He's like, I miss the boredom that comes around shows where your good ideas arrive. Yeah. When you're He's been working so hard that he hasn't had any time to be bored. Well, when you're, you're in your house, you have access to your TV, your computer, your phone. Like I would go from like painting for a couple hours and then I'd go to the living room and I'd sit on the couch and watch Netflix and then go on my phone and then I'd go straight back to working like there was there's no downtime anymore right like I'm constantly have input even when I go for runs I'm listening to podcasts or audiobooks and I was thinking about like how like the final storyboard of Dragon Nanny poured out of me at the Vancouver Comic-Con in the mornings and at nights when there was nothing to do other than sit at my table like because it was it was a bit of a slower show, I had hours where there was 
there's nothing for me to do. I can't use my internet because I'll rack up my, my data. I can't watch TV, listen to music. I have to be just sitting there. The exploring just, is inward during, you know. And I'm, so suddenly your mind starts working overtime on other things and the whole story just was clicking into place and I was having all these other good like business ideas of okay like once this is done I want to do this and that like and I realized often my big grand plans come from when I'm on like traveling or on a trip where I can't I can't have access to getting work done or being at a computer or being on my phone. Like that's when I make my plans. We've made the joke a couple of times uh, on the podcast about like your flight is canceled or delayed. Like I'm in the airport and it's like, oh, the flight is pushed back six hours. Great. (laughs) And I'm like so thrilled. Like it's shitty that I can't get home. But that's six hours of like Dude. sketching and thinking and just being with myself. You know, yeah, you're in a crowd and yeah, you know, an airport is not a great place if you have to stay there a long time, but it can be amazing also. There was you and me in Minneapolis, the one where you got off the plane and just ran oh. and I was <laughs> caught up behind and neither of us made it. And um, we just sat at like a bar for like two, three hours and... I can't exactly remember like what it was, but we got some real like career changing plans put into motion because of that three hours of nothing else to do, but yeah, it's like if you couldn't continue with what you were planning, what other plans can you come up with? I love that. I love that uh, airport. I've I've spent about six hours in the airport. I hate that airport. What? It's so long. It's very. It's a very large airport. <laughs> Depends got, where your flight is. It's yeah, got a pretty much. Yeah, there's that too. But if you're stuck there for six hours, there's lots to do because it's yeah. like got a, basically got a mall in there. That's right. You can kind of go around to different things. And yeah, yeah. I, I was stuck there for a while one time. I didn't have any profound life-changing epiphanies, but uh, you know, I had some good food. Yeah, I mean, you know, as long as we're lamenting about things we miss a little bit, um, every now and then you get bumped a day, like you're supposed to be home on a Monday and you have to come home on a Tuesday or whatever, and just being able to. Explore a strange, Explore a strange city. city. Yeah. There's so many good things that come from exploring a strange city, you know, with a pinch of danger and a little bit of confusion while you're around in some other part of the world. Yeah, some really special things can happen, right? It's yeah. true. So, for sure. It feels so good to be back, Dan. It does. It's good to have you back, even if I barely recognize you behind that mask. <laughs> <laughs> um, and dear listener, we uh, we miss you. If you're someone that listens to us at show or meets us at shows, we miss you so much. And it won't be so long before we are together again. This has been Super Pulp Science. This is Gregory Kamichak telling you to join the fight and make comments.